Great to be with you. Let's, uh, let's go before the Lord quickly to pray and ask him to teach us as we come to his word. Father, we thank you that your word is sufficient to teach us to know you, to love you, and to live for your glory. We pray that you would teach us now and help us to obey you and what we see here in Ecclesiastes 2. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, I hope that you've enjoyed the beginning to our sermon series here in the book of Ecclesiastes. If you're new to the Bible, I just want to point you to where Ecclesiastes is. It's right after the book of Proverbs and right before the book of Song of Songs. Uh, It's about halfway through your Bible. So if you were to open it up and just go about halfway, you would land close to Ecclesiastes. So we're going to be there in chapter 2 today. As we've been going through this book, there's been uh, the author who is called The Preacher, And the preacher is teaching us what it means to find significance and meaning in life. So we've been exploring his own personal journey through chapters 1 and 2. And then as we get into chapter 3, in a few weeks, we're going to be seeing some of his instruction based on his own journey. So we have basically been asking this question, where do we find significance and meaning in life? Where do we find significance and meaning in life? And last week, we saw the preacher go on the journey to find meaning and significance through what he could learn. This week, we're going to see him search for significance in what brings pleasure and his possessions. So if you could, please just help me out. I'd love to get some participation. If you could, finish this sentence for me, okay? So one at a time. But let's, let's finish the sentence. Happiness is fill in the blank. What would you say? Happiness is what makes you happy? Spending time with your mom? Okay, all right, all right. That was so sweet. Sometimes, sometimes, aw, sweet. Okay, spending time with others, okay. Happiness is family, Okay. Yep. Happiness is Jesus. Amen. I can, I can get behind that. That's good. That's good. <laughs> All right. Happiness is giving. Okay. Giving. All right. Cool. What's that? Achievement. Okay. Yep. So happiness is achievement, what we can accomplish. All right. Somebody's a go-getter, huh? <laughs> All right. Happiness is achievement. All right. What, what would the world say? Maybe if it wasn't just you, but it, messages you would hear from the world. Happiness is what? Okay. Music, okay. Money, somebody say money. Money, music, okay. What else? Possessions, okay. Cool, my house, my job. What's that? You get another one? Health, okay. Yep, happiness is having good health. All right. Power. Baptisms, watching baptisms, okay. All right. All right. Love. Yeah, happiness is love. Okay, some people may say that. Happiness is love. See, here's the thing. If we were to ask people generally, do you want to be happy? I'm pretty sure that close to 100% of people would say yes, right? If we were to say, do you want to be happy? Most people would respond by saying, yeah. And if they didn't, I'd be really concerned. Wouldn't you be concerned? We all want to be happy. We've done things today even to make ourselves happy. Like, for example, I this morning got up and had a cup of coffee. 
and that made me very happy, okay? Very happy. I had my third recently, and I am very happy about it, okay? Um, Maybe you ate something to fill your tummy, and you felt very happy and no longer hangry. Amen? Amen. Okay. You do things daily, sometimes even hourly, to pursue your own happiness. You get up to go to church. You listen to music. You spend time with people that you love. You spend time doing things that give you joy. You, you get the idea. We all want to be happy people. Happiness is both a matter of things that we can see on the surface, things that are very easily graspable, like a cup of coffee, and there are also things that have deep meaning, like understanding the complex topic of a book. Happiness is both surface level and in depth. We long to do things like leave an impression or legacy on our family members. We want to find significance in what we see within the church, within the world, with each other. What the preacher is not communicating in Ecclesiastes 1 and 2, or really even throughout the whole book, is the idea that earthly joys are meaningless. He's not saying that earthly joys are meaningless. But what he is saying is that earthly joys are not ultimate. While earthly joys are not meaningless, we have to recognize that they are not what is ultimate. Life in the world with God is gift, not gain. Life in the world with God is gift, not gain. And so my main argument for us this morning, as we come to Ecclesiastes 2, is that we should work for what brings pleasure to God. We should work for what brings, brings pleasure to God. There are going to be two things that we learn from Ecclesiastes 2, verses 1 through 11. The first is this, is that it's that pleasure promises more than it can produce. Pleasure promises more than it can produce. Okay, that's the first idea. The second idea is this, possessions increase our labor. Possessions increase our labor. And so, again, the main argument for us today is to work for what brings pleasure to God. Work for what brings pleasure to God. Let's look at the preacher's first idea here that pleasure promises more than it can produce in verses 1 through 3. The preacher said, I said to myself, go ahead, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy what is good. But it turned out to be futile. And I said about laughter, it is madness. And about pleasure, what does this accomplish? I explored with my mind the pull of wine on my body, my mind still guiding me with wisdom and how to grasp folly until I could see what, good, what is good for people to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. So again, just a reminder, right? In chapter 1, the preacher set out on this journey to try to find significance. And what he found out is that he couldn't find significance, at least in learning. And so now he's going to go from wisdom to now seeing what brings him joy, right? So we want to explore the things that bring us joy in life. There are a couple of examples that he gives to us here. The first is the joy that we find in laughter, okay? Does anybody like a good laugh in the room? Yeah, I love to laugh. I like to make people laugh. I like to uh, be funny. And you'll probably, as you spend time with me, 
notice that more often than not, I, I have a sense of sarcasm, and I always try to find what's bright in the moment, okay? Uh, so we all enjoy laughter, right? I, I was recently just watching a video. Uh, I, I'm a big soccer fan. Anybody else a soccer fan? Yeah, mm-hmm, amen. Carl just went to a game last night. He said it was really great, but he went to the Hartford Athletic, and that was the problem, right? <laughs> they lost 2-0 again, okay? So uh, they're not doing so hot, but I love Manchester United. That's my favorite soccer team there in England, uh-huh. We're praying for you, sister, okay? We're praying for you. <laughs> All right. Manchester United, a great soccer team. They just signed a new player. His name's Mason Mount. Pretty cool name. And somebody asked him a question in one of his interviews. They said, if you were to invite three people to have dinner with you, to give you advice, who would you look after? And he said, first, I'd want a comedian. Because when you're at dinner with people, you always want to have a good laugh. And I just thought, how true is that? You want to have a good time. When we think of what brings us pleasure, we're often thinking of what makes us laugh. Notice what he says. I said about laughter, it's madness. One of the most interesting things that we can do in life is actually look at the autobiographies of comedians. There's actually even documentaries about this. More often than not, people who get paid to make other people laugh are not actually enjoying life themselves. They actually are some of the most depressed people in the world. And what they've done is they've used laughter to try to deal with their circumstances. And what they find is that as they make people laugh or as they laugh themselves, you may find temporary relief, but not a long-standing relief from your circumstances. Laughter is a great gift. But here's the thing about pleasure. It promises more than what it can produce. See, we can, we can laugh at the joke, but as soon as the joke's over, we're still faced with reality. The situation hasn't changed. We just have seen it in a different light. Laughter is good, but it's not ultimate. About pleasure, he said, what does this accomplish? So he, he goes on his journey, continues, and the next thing he, he goes to is he goes to the pull of wine on his body. Okay. Now, anybody enjoy wine? I, I like a glass of wine every now and then. Right. <laughs> Sue's like, yeah. <laughs> right. We have a vineyard that's going in right across the, the street from us in our, uh, where we live in Lebanon. But here's the thing about wine, right? And so this is not a journey where the preacher is going toward finding the, the spot where he can get the most intoxicated and enjoy his experience to the fullness, right? This isn't full-blown drunkenness that he is uh, commending here. His journey is he's looking at the pull of wine in such a way that he can experience its pull and continue with his wisdom and guidance, right? This is controlled drinking of wine, okay? And what he notices is that the, the wine does have a pull on your body, right? My cousin, he's a doctor, and he often used to say, as he was studying, he would spend about 15 hours a day studying uh, to go through his boards in order to get his licensure to, to be a doctor. And he would joke after like six or seven times of doing this 15-hour day, he'd say, I'm just going to go ahead 
drink a bottle of wine and take some melatonin and sleep for a week. Because it has a pull on him, right? Where it's able to at least kind of numb your senses. But what did this lead to for the preacher? Oh, the same thing that it leads to with most people. If you haven't seen this, this is a pattern with people, right? We, we go after alcohol with the desire to experience its pull, but once you've hit the high of what you can reach with alcohol, you're always trying to recreate the experience. And then we run into issues, don't we? Right? Now we're heading away from enjoying something in moderation to now getting close to playing with something that can be very dangerous to us. The preacher says here that he could not find any pleasure in the pull of wine. Again, he's not saying that wine's a bad thing. He's just saying it's not ultimate. It is not ultimate. It's a gift, but it doesn't fully end with gain. Again, it promises more than what it can produce. He says he was trying to understand how to grasp folly until he could see what is good for people to do under heaven during the few days of his life. So here in the first three verses, we actually see the preacher kind of giving us the parameters of what he's going through on this exploration of finding meaning and significance in life. The boundaries to this experiment are what can I do to bring, find happiness without a loss of control? We often say it like this. We say it like, live happy, don't worry. Okay? Right? I, isn't there a song about that? Right? Anybody know how the song goes? Don't worry, be happy. I believe that's very poetic by a Mr. Bob Marley, right? <laughs> Don't worry, be happy, right? The idea is like live a carefree life. Live in such a way where you're enjoying your experience, but you don't have any, uh, any worries about what you're going through. Ultimately, what he says is that all of this falls short because there's immediate sense of gratification, but there's not a lasting sense of what is significant, so, friends, what do we learn from the preacher here for us? Now, you may not be exploring laughter. Maybe you don't like comedians. Maybe they bother you. Maybe you don't like wine or alcohol. But we all are searching for things that give us lots of promise but don't actually produce. We look for things that have big promises without actually matching the production. We can think at times, whether it's wine or alcohol or, or, or laughter, or you fill in the blank, there are times where too much leads not to a full experience, but rather to destruction. It leads to a numbing in life, a depression. And so the question becomes for us, are we searching for the happy-go-lucky without finding true contentment? The idea is the search is actually about contentment here, finding what lasts. But the reality is, is that through things that please us, we're going to find that we're always looking for another experience on what we've already accomplished. Pleasure promises more than it can produce. 
But the second thing that the preacher points us to is that if pleasure and wisdom don't match it, he explores and says, can my projects or my possessions give me meaning and significance? Look at verse 4. I increase in my achievements. If we remember back to chapter 1, this is uh, the preacher who says that he was king over Israel in Jerusalem, that he had more wisdom than anyone else. And and we continue here in chapter 2, verse 4. He says, I increase in my achievements. He's the wisest man. He has uh, immediate access to all of the things that could bring him joy in life. And he goes on and he says, I build houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself and planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs for myself from which to irrigate irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. So it's not found in laughter or in wine. So now he goes to his projects. What can I build? Anybody like to build things? I like to build things. And what often happens is as I start it, I think it's going to go a lot smoother than what I anticipate. Right? And then you're like halfway through and you're like, why did I do this? The, what was meant to bring you joy, you go, why? why have I, what have I done to myself? Right? <laughs> if you can relate with me there, you're in good company. If you can't, this is probably because you're wiser than we are. <laughs> so we, we like to build things, right? How many of you like to plant things? Any gardeners in the room? Green thumbs? Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I don't have a great green thumb. I, I'm trying to get better at it, right? I realize that there are things that you're supposed to do, like regularly water things that, that might help as you're trying to grow different flowers and, and gardens. But notice here, he says, not only in light of this, what we have to recognize is geographical significance. Anybody know what Israel's like? Is it like flourishing with farms and vineyards and the, no no it's not it's a dry climate and not a lot survives in that climate unless it's directly connected to some sort of water source so as the preacher is saying here i've planted vineyards i've made gardens i've made parks i've made reservoirs for for trees to flourish this is not just a minor accomplishment like making cucumbers come into your little gardens friends This is significant. He's flexing his power, his might, his ability here. This is not a small undertaking. And if this is the king who is over Israel in Jerusalem, if it's Solomon, what was Solomon's greatest architectural accomplishment? Does anybody know? He he built the temple. He built the temple for the Lord. I mean, think about that significance. That's quite the building, the place where God himself was to dwell with his people. So he's building things, he's planting things, but it doesn't stop there. Look, in verse 7 it says, I acquired male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. It was likely that these slaves were meant to help control and manage his gardens and his parks and his reservoirs and what comes afterwards where he says, I owned livestock, large herds and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. So again, this is not somebody just doing a few things that us do-it-yourselfers would say are cool projects. This is somebody who's doing this with power 
influence, might, where people would stop and go, wow, look at that. You know, you think of reservoirs, you think of like the Hoover Dam, right? Have you ever been there, seen that? I haven't been there, but I've seen pictures of it, and I'm always like, that's a lot of concrete. <laughs> Whoa. And I always think about, like, what would happen if there was a little crack in that and then all that water released? There, there are definitely movies about that where they, they make that happen, right? Um, this is incredible architecture, incredible projects, incredible work, more than everyone else who is before him. On top of the projects, on top of the servants, on top of the animals that he owned, look at verse 8. I also amassed what? Silver and gold. Not only did he have the pleasure that was in front of him, not only did he make the things that were significant, not only did he have slaves to manage this and people to work for him, he had the money to go behind the projects. Silver and gold for myself. Treasures of kings and provinces. Not only did he have his own possessions, he was so powerful that he took over others and took their possessions. Verse 8 continues, it says, I gathered male and female singers for myself. Those that would sing beautifully and bring entertainment and joy to those that are royalty. This verse also has an interesting word, many concubines, the delights of men. That's the Christian Standard Bible trying to give us maybe an emphasis on this translation. Concubines could have been called a harem, or basically what he's trying to say here is he had the opportunity to have sex with whoever he wanted to have sex with. So as far as the world is concerned, what brings you happiness, right? Money, he's got it. Treasures, he's got it. Houses, he's got it. Sex, whenever he wants. He has everything that he could ever think of and desire. In verse 9, it says, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained in me. So this is not that he's gone off the tracks and just accumulated all sorts of stuff and basically gone off on the wagon. This is a man who has everything and wisdom and is doing this, again, in a controlled environment where this is not impulsive. This is self-control and an exercise of what is basically what we would find out to be the greatest human experience. He's saying, I've done it. I've had it. In verse 10, he says, All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was the reward for all my struggles. Everything his eyes desired were right there, and he took them. But notice here, too, he said, With the pleasure came pain, struggle. You know, I think that one of the biggest problems of our world today is that everybody wants pleasure, but nobody wants pain. Right? We, we were talking, we, kn- we know somebody who, who wants to be their own boss, right? Like 20-something, they're like, all right, I want to be my own boss. I want to I do this, right? I want to make my own schedule. I want to have money. I want to be able to do what I want to do, when I want to do it. And I was like, cool, what's your plan? They go, Nothing. <laughs> I was like, okay, that might not work. <laughs> All right. That might not work. <laughs> it's not going to line up. Right? 
You want a bunch of things. I want a bunch of things, right? And here's the reality. We're all limited. We want pleasure, but in order to actually enjoy life, more often than not, that means that we have to be willing to experience struggle and pain. Things don't just pop up. We don't just turn the corner and go, look at that sweet $500,000 house, I want it, and then it's mine, and I don't have to pay. Now, that would be sweet, wouldn't it? You'd be like, awesome. We, we really made out pretty well with this. I didn't have to put anything down. My mortgage is at 0.00%, and uh, there's no balance. That'd be great, wouldn't it? A $500,000 house costs at least $500,000. And then if you got a 3% mortgage, you're probably paying, uh, let's say, like, quick math would be like 60 k on your principal over the time of your 30-year loan, hopefully about that, maybe more. This is rough math, okay? Leave it to the treasurer guys. They're the money guys. They can figure it out very quickly. They'll tell me, hey, you were, you were off by a lot. Or maybe I was off by a little. We'll find out. <laughs> it costs, and often more than what we can anticipate. What p- possessions taught the preacher is that no matter how many things he had, it didn't mean less work. It meant actually an increase in labor. Friends, things come and go. Possessions add up. Let me just ask you this. When was the last time you cleaned out your basement? Cleaned out the attic? Went through your stuff? See, I have to like walk through my basement and like go there to get to my laundry. And I'm often like, oh man, I got to clean that pile up. Oh man, there's all this stuff from my camper over there. I'm going to put that in a spot that's reasonable. Oh man, the cats live down here too. And their box is over here. Hopefully there's not poop everywhere, right? <laughs> stuff adds up incredibly quick. Uh, recently, I was in my basement, and I found something that I had been looking for for six months. Right? Six months of looking around stuff. And, you know, as soon as I found it, I went, oh, yeah, I put that there. <laughs> Possessions add up. But here's the thing. Work increases with it, and it's limited, and you don't get to take it with you. Drew Holcomb and the neighbors, they have a song about that. Say, you can't take it with you. So that beloved possession, that motorcycle, that bike, that collector item that you have set aside, it might be precious to you, but you don't get to take it with you. Pleasure promises more than it can produce. And while the possibility of possessions increases, it doesn't mean that everything gets easier in the process. So the preacher arrives at the conclusion in verse 11 where he says, when I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile and a pursuit of the wind. 
There is nothing to be gained under the sun. Let's land this on some application for us. And let's just remind ourselves what the preacher's not saying. Notice he's not saying that all this is meaningless. That's not what he's lining up to. What he's saying is that it's not ultimate. It's not ultimate. It has meaning, but it's not the ultimate meaning of what we're looking for. It's not significant. It's not life in God. Pleasure and possessions, friends, can be good. So if you enjoy things, enjoy them. But recognize that they're not all that is good. Pleasure and possessions can be good, but they are not all that is good. Often, pleasure and possessions don't match up to what we hope they will promise. So what are we to do with the things that bring us joy, or that our aims of joy and our aims of possession? Well, I hope these two principles will help you as you think about the joy that you have and the possessions that you have in your life. Everything needs to be in submission to the Lord. So first, with whatever you find joy in, whatever you hope to possess, work for the Lord. Work for the Lord in submission to Him. Now, you may desire to have something that you don't have, but it may be the Lord's will that you don't have that. Okay? Now, there have been times in my life that I have hoped to have things, like a really, 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 really big house and a Ferrari. I wanted a Ferrari when I was in sixth grade. I don't drive a Ferrari now. Uh, I know that might be shocking to many of you, but I don't drive one. I think that they're cool, but uh, I, I know somebody who had one, and uh, he told me his taxes once, and I said, yep, nope, not happening. <laughs> right? um, there are things that I've desired to have and desired them in a way that became idolatry. Do we know what idolatry is? An idol is something that we put in the place of God. Right? So we, we can do that with possessions. We can do that with things. We can do that with relationships. Anything that we put in the place of knowing God and being known by Him becomes an idol to us, something that distracts us from actually walking and having life in Him. Now, it's okay to desire things, but we need to put them in submission to the Lord. If the Lord does not have this for us, then it's time to move on. Okay? Move on. And what should we do? Work for the Lord. Notice what he's not saying. He's not saying, build yourself up. He's not saying accomplish everything for yourself. He's saying that in his accomplishments, in his achievements, in his possessions, it all ended with futility. Grasping at the wind, chasing the wind. So instead, Christian aim to build God's kingdom. Invest in what is spiritually good for the kingdom of God. What should we be working to build up? Well, build up the church. Build up followers of Jesus. Our purpose here is to make disciples, that's followers of Jesus, who glorify God. How are you investing in the spiritual good of others? Are you investing in a way where you care about their spiritual good, their relationship with God, pushing them on to be more like Jesus? Build up the church. Make disciples. Tell people about Jesus. Like, 
these dear friends who got baptized today, now they've declared to the world, I want to obey Jesus. Do you know what their aim is? To go and tell others about him. Tell them about the news, the hope, the joy that they have in Christ. Guys, you can do that. Be faithful. Work toward building up God's kingdom, not your own. When we think of working for the Lord, we shouldn't adopt the philosophy of what's the least amount of work that I can do for God to bring him glory. Guys, we should not be cutting corners. Instead, we should be doing everything we have to bring glory to God. That's what Colossians 3.17 is trying to tell us. Whatever you do, do to the glory of God. That doesn't mean, hey, I'll cut it here. Sweet. Now that brings honor to God. Going on, doing something else. Invest in the kingdom. Invest in obeying the Lord, working for his purposes. It's not how little can I be involved in church, how little can I read the Bible, how little can I pray, how little can I spend with other Christians. What is the least amount of work that I can do without actually having to go beyond into the struggle? How did he find pleasure? How did he find joy in his possessions? It will... It was joy through pain. It was joy through a struggle. Friends, it's often in the struggle that God actually works in our lives. Have you ever thought to yourself, maybe even recently, maybe you've been like, why am I going through all of this? This is horrible. Have you asked yourself, Lord, what do you want to teach me in this? What do you want to teach me with where I'm at right now? Why everything's a struggle Is there a place of obedience that you need to submit to the Lord? It's a struggle to open up your Bible, right? I'm really glad for the accountability of our Bible reading plan. Rachel and I, (laughs) when she opens up her Bible app, she goes, I'm two days behind, and I look at mine, and I'm like, ooh, uh, I'm two days behind too. And we push each other on, and we get to read the Bible together with other people in the church. It's been a great joy in that sense. But there are also times where I'm like, this is a struggle to get to this reading on top of the other reading and other things that I'm doing. But the struggle, what I've found is, hasn't come back to hurt me. It's actually come back to shape me and mold me and help me follow him. So if we should aim to work for the Lord, the second principle, and I want to just leave for you, is don't just work for the Lord. Don't just do things that are godly. Do so with joy so that you can please your master. Aim to please the Lord in the work and obedience that you have in Christ. God's not just looking for people who are obedient. He's not just looking for people who will just do stuff. He's looking for people who will love him. The Westminster Catechism, how does it start? The chief end of man is to glorify God. Amen? Yeah, we can get that. It doesn't end there. Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's question one, Westminster Catechism, right off the bat. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Do you enjoy the Lord? What pleases the Lord? Denying your sin pleases the Lord. 
denying your pride, denying your anger, denying your lust, denying your covetousness. Denying your sin brings joy to the Lord. Are you denying your sin, Christian? Well, please, Lord, that which builds our trust in His provision, that which builds our trust in His provision. Lord, I need to pay my bills, and I don't know where it's coming from, but I know you'll provide. Guys, you know what Scripture says in Matthew's Gospel? That God cares for the sparrow, and he will care for us. Those little stinking birds that wreck chaos and havoc on your home, right? Yeah, I I don't love birds. Yeah, they're weird to me, Uh, right? They, They fly into your windows. They poop on your cars. They squawk, right? Some of them, like, eat stuff off the road, right? They're nasty, right? The Lord provides for those. (laughs) Of course he's going to provide for us. He gives us just what we need. Emphasis on what we need. Are you trusting the Lord to provide? Ultimately, What pleases the Lord is whatever builds our reliance upon his word, his spirit, and himself. His word, his spirit, and himself. That we would rely on him, that we would be dependent upon him, that we would come as a needy people to him who said, Come all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Friend, are you trying to find the rest without God? Or are you trying to find rest in God? Come to him. Aim to work for the Lord. Aim to please the Lord. And ultimately, the result of all of this, guys, it's not going to be easy. This is not your happy-go-lucky, get-easy-life sermon. This is a real sermon from the real Bible that tells you that when you struggle for the Lord, He will be with you. It's not going to be easy, but you will find contentment in Him. Your contentment will be what? At the end of the day, despite my possessions, despite my lack of all the pleasures of what I would hope in life, you know what I have? Jesus, and that's enough. Is he enough? Is he enough for you? Are you searching for other things that promise you a lot, but don't deliver? So like my brother said over here, happiness is Jesus. It is Jesus, knowing him and being known by him. Have you repented of your sin? Have you trusted in him alone to save you? Are you going to follow him in obedience? Are you going to live for his glory? Work for what brings pleasure to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that you teach us and guide us. I pray as we observe the supper that you would show us again what it means to walk with you and to see your gospel on display. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Caleb's going to come lead us in the Lord's Supper as we prepare to worship God together.